Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. Lord Jesus, every single knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that you, in fact, are Lord. King of kings, you are the Holy One, the Holy One of Israel, the Holy Lamb of God. Holy Spirit, you alone, sovereign, reign in our lives. And so we bow before you, not waiting someday when all the world will bow. We bow right now voluntarily, bowing our hearts, our minds, our lives. For you alone are our God. And we ask now that you would help us to open our hearts to what your spirit would say to us. Your word is true. These are holy words. And so we pray all together that every word that I would speak and every meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight for you are our holy God. And now we open your holy word asking that you would transform our lives. We pray this in the powerful name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much, worship team, for leading us into the presence of our Lord as we come and bow our hearts and our minds before him. This evening, we have another time to celebrate. I hope that you are planning on coming. If you're a member of our fellowship, coming this evening at 6 o'clock to worship the Lord together as we celebrate what he's done in the past year and as we look forward to what he will do in the next year and take care of some family business at the same time. It's a time of celebration. I hope that you will be here. When you think of an example of a person of faith in your life, a man or a woman or a child who for you has signified, has represented what faith looks like. I wonder who that person is. Maybe there's a special time, an event when you saw their faith so crystal clear. Maybe you doubted, maybe you questioned, but this person had faith. The Lord has probably put several people in your life like that. One of them in my life, his name is Aloysius. Aloysius is a Ugandan, a Ugandan from southwestern Uganda. He was a policeman, came to Christ as a policeman, and when he finished his police work, he went to Bible college and studied, and he began to serve the Lord. Aloysius was willing to leave a very large city in Uganda and go to an extraordinarily remote place to share the gospel. The Ugandan churches were sending him there, but the money to send him there didn't come in time, but Alois was not going to wait. Money was not an issue. He went out on the road in front of his house and he stood there waiting for a bus to come by, having no money to take him. The trip was an eight-hour trip. It wasn't like he could go there for free. He waited a day. Nobody picked him up. He went back to his house, but he went out the next day. I found him down in that little village area. That man served God faithfully every single day. When the people rejected him, 
the only people who would listen to him share the gospel were drunks. He remained faithful. Every time I visited him, he was smiling, and he knew that God was going to do a work in that place. Today, that little corner of Uganda is one of the sending centers for missions sending people to other cultures and other language groups. There are thousands upon thousands of Christians in that place because one man named Aloysius said, it doesn't matter if everything the world says says I should not go, I cannot go. If God has called me, he will make a way. I don't know if you've met somebody like that, that every time you see them, you're just amazed by their faith. This morning in Hebrews, we see, we meet three individuals that we know well. They, their lives are depicted for us in Genesis 3, Genesis 4, 5, and 6. But these three individuals are examples of men whose faith permeated every aspect of their lives. Last week, as we looked at the introductory verses of chapter 11, we were reminded that faith sees the future reality as clearly as it sees the present reality or the past reality. Faith sees what is to come with absolute clarity and conviction. These three individuals give us examples of what that looked like. And I love the fact that the Spirit of God lifts them out of the pages of Scripture all the way from the beginning. As we walk through Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to see example after example of people of faith, but it starts at the very beginning of the Old Testament. You see, the message of Scripture is the same from beginning to end. It's not that in the Old Testament they had to follow all the laws and offer all the sacrifices or they couldn't go to heaven. The same truth of living by faith was the truth in the Old Testament as we have in the New. And so as the Holy Spirit begins to give these Hebrew believers that are receiving this message the story of God's faithfulness and what it looks like to live faithfully, he begins at the very beginning of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 11, last week we looked at the first three verses. This morning we're going to look at verses 4 down to 7. We're going to take them bit by bit. Let's just look at verse 4 first of all. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. The story that we are given back in Genesis is a story of two brothers who come to God offering to Him worship. Faith is an act of worship. And that is where it begins. As a church, worship is the first word in our mission statement. But even our worship needs to be faith. The first illustration the Holy Spirit gives of faith is what faith looks like in acts of worship. So if you have your Bibles, if you can go back to Genesis chapter 4, you might keep a finger in Genesis 
4 and 5 and 6. Genesis 4 is where we're going to start this morning, but keep a tab in Hebrews chapter 11 too because we'll go back and forth. Genesis 4, verse 2, now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of the flock, of his flock, and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but Cain and his offering, for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Both Cain and Abel bring offerings to the Lord. They are the children of Adam and Eve. God accepts Abel's offering, does not accept Cain's. What was the difference between the two? Abel's, we're told in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, was more acceptable. What made his offering more acceptable? Both of them brought the fruit of their, their own efforts. Abel took care of flocks, and he brought from the flocks. Cain was a farmer, and he brought some of the fruit of his produce. So what made Cain's unacceptable and Abel's acceptable? All we're told by the Holy Spirit is that Abel offered it by faith. The Holy Spirit in chapter 4 of Genesis does not explain to us specifically why Cain's was unacceptable. It seems like they both brought what they had worked on. But there are some clues. For instance, Romans chapter 7, chapter 10, verse 17 says, faith comes from hearing. And hearing is through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing. Now, if Abel's offering was by faith, that's how it begins in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, by faith Abel offered. If it was by faith, he must have heard something. What did he hear? Well, possibly, possibly Cain and Abel had heard from Adam and Eve. I can't imagine how Adam and Eve would not have explained to them what happened in the garden. We were living in this beautiful garden everything provided for us. We had everything. There were no thorns. There was no trouble. Everything was perfect, and then we sinned. We rebelled against God. We ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God had told us not to do. And the horror that followed that was unbelievable. When God came into the garden and was calling for us and we were hiding, He calls us out. We couldn't hide from Him. We were naked. We realized we were naked and he killed an animal. Nothing ever had died before that. There was no, thing, no such thing as death in our world. And God killed an animal. We saw its blood shed, and, and then God used the skins of that animal to clothe us because the, the leaves we were using were not sufficient. And every day when we woke up, and we wore those skins for clothes, we were reminded of the cost of our sin. And God told us that we too would die. I'm sure that Adam and Eve must have told them that story. Abel apparently understood that it was not the produce of his hard work that was going to please God, but it was that he too was a sinner like his parents. 
and something had to die in his place. We're told that Abel in Genesis, Abel brought not only did he bring from his flocks, but it was the firstborn, the very, very best, and the fat portions, which means they had already been slaughtered. It was a loss to Abel. It cost him significantly. Cain brought from his garden the fruit of the ground. We're not told that it's the first part. We're not told that it's the first fruit. So it was the fruit, but it was also his work. It was his effort. There's another clue. Jude tells us that there were people moving into the church who were not listening to the Word of God, who were trying to use the church for their own advantage to get ahead. And Jude says this in verse 11, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain. They abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. What was Balaam's error in the Old Testament? He was wanting to curse the Israelites in order to get money from a foreign king. What was Korah's sin? The earth opened up and swallowed him. Why? Because he refused to follow Aaron and Moses, and he said, I want to be the leader. He was trying to get advantage for himself. Apparently, Cain, the way of Cain, that little phrase, they followed the way of Cain, Apparently, Cain was looking for advantage. He thought that he could bring something to God and get something back. It was for his benefit. And after all, it was his work. Cain had produced this, and I'm bringing what I have produced to God. Aren't you happy that I have given you something that I have worked so hard for? Abel brought the best he had, and it cost him. It died. He lost it. Cain brought from his own efforts. Look at God's condemnation of Cain. When God judges Cain, verse 12 of chapter 4 of Genesis, when, when you work the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. God curses the very thing that Cain has used to say, hey, I've got something to give you, God. Cain will no longer be able to have a settled life where he has fields and, and he can just till the land. That's what he had always done. God says the land is no longer going to produce and you're going to move from place to place to place to place trying to find a way to make a living. It seems from the clues the Scriptures give us that Cain, the way of Cain, was bringing what he had and saying, God, here's what I've got. Aren't you glad I brought this to you? Abel instead came to God in complete humility saying, I, I deserve nothing, and here's the very best I have, and it's a total loss to me. It's dead now. It's possible Abel also understood that something had to die in place of his sins. We're not sure of that, but he certainly brought to God out of faith that God would accept the very best he had, but it wasn't his, he didn't produce it. How often do we come to the Lord, even in worship, saying, Lord, I'm doing this for you. I hope you're happy. We may even give of our offerings, of our gifts, and say, Lord, look at what I just put in the offering plate. I, I hope that you notice this. 
We work hard to please God. Some people want to come into God's presence and they say, well, I'm, I'm really a good person. And look, I, I helped this person this week. And someone was sick and I went to visit them in the hospital and I, I took food to their house. And Lord, look at the things I'm doing. I'm working with the children's ministry. And as if these things we're doing somehow improves our standing with God, nothing does. We have to come by faith, recognizing that everything we receive from God is absolute grace. Isaiah 64, verse 6 says, We have all become like one who's unclean. Our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Both Cain and Abel came to worship, but Cain brings the way of Cain, as Jude describes it, brings out of his own labor, saying, God, look what I've done for you. I hope you notice, and I hope I get something back in return. Abel simply offered something up that was of great cost and says, God, I, I, I just give you what you gave to me. How do you worship God? When we come into His presence, we can only come in faith, trusting in the work of another. Abel didn't produce that flock. He didn't produce those, the lamb or those lambs that he offered. God produced them. He just gave them back to God. We are saved by faith, trusting in the work of Jesus. That's what Hebrews has been talking to us about, the singular, sufficient sacrifice of Jesus. We are saved by what Jesus has done, not but we, by what we do. As Jeremy already quoted this morning, Acts 16 says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. As simple as that. If you're here and you're hoping that God notices you because of what you can do or what you have offered, that is not real worship. Worship that is faith worship is based completely on trusting in the work of another, the work of Jesus, the, what He has done for us. These early Hebrew believers could easily fall back and were tempted for certain to fall back into trusting in their Judaism and trusting in all of their rituals and going to the synagogue on the Sabbath and keeping the Sabbath day and keeping the festivals and Boy, we as Christians can trust in going to church and doing the right things, and we give money, and we, we have to trust in the work of another, the work of Jesus and Jesus alone. We're saved by faith. We worship by faith. But the second example we have in verse 5 is of Enoch, a man who walked by faith. Verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 11, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Having pleased God is a key phrase. We find Enoch's life back in chapter 5 of Genesis. Chapter 5, if Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith, Chapter 5 of Genesis is the hall of the dead. This is where everybody dies. Every person's life, it's, a, it's the descendants from Adam all the way to Noah, and the final words are, and he died, and he died, and he died. Look at verse 5 of chapter 5. All the days of Noah lived were 930 years, and he died. 
Verse 8, thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Verse 11, though all the days of Enosh, 905 years, and he died. Verse 14, thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. Verse 17, thus all the days of Mahalala were 895 years, and he died. Verse 20, then all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. And now we have one exception. Verse 21, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And then as you continue to read down, everyone else, and he died, and he died, and he died. Enoch, by faith, pleased God. Hebrews 11 verse 5. Why does Hebrews 11 verse 5 say he pleased God? The writer to the Hebrews always quotes the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, translated by 70 or 72 uh, Hebrew Greek scholars in the second and third centuries B.C. Hebrews always quotes that Greek New Testament, and the Greek New Testament, instead of saying Enoch walked with God, it says Enoch pleased God because the Septuagint was always fearful of giving any anthropomorphism, anything that made God look like he was a human being, as if God walked on earth with people with legs like us. The Hebrew Septuagint, the Septuagint tried not to communicate that. So instead of saying walk with God, said please God. That's what we have in Hebrews. The Holy Spirit is inspiring Hebrews, and he uses pleased God, and he inspired Genesis. He uses walk with God, because when we walk with God, we please God. It's the same thing. This man, Enoch, walked by faith, and he never died. He was translated. He was taken to heaven. His place of living was simply transferred to another place. What does it mean to walk with God moment by moment? It says all those years, hundreds of years, he walked with God in every decision of every day. It was for him as if he was back in the Garden of Eden. I am walking with God. He is next to me. I want to do what pleases him. I am trusting him. When life was hard, Enoch walked with God. When life was filled with joy, Enoch walked with God. When Enoch had a major decision to make, he walked with God. When, when Enoch had some, some um, fruit from his work and his labor, it wasn't his. God had given it to him, so he asks what he should do. That's stewardship. How many times do we work hard and we take that money and we say, it's ours, I'm going to give a little bit to God? Not for Enoch. If you're walking with God, it, it's all God's. God's given me some, but I, I, what do I do with this now, Lord? You've put it in my hands, but it's not mine. What do you want me to do with it? It all belongs to you. It's not just for the big decisions of life. It's for the small decisions. When we have an opportunity to speak to our children and it's an opportunity that just, we call it a teachable moment, 
that's a moment where we walk with God and we ask God to give us the words to say, to speak into our children's hearts at that moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight, because we, walk, we are walking by faith every moment with God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His Son. We are not, Enoch was de delivered from death and he was transferred into God's presence. We are delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His Son. And in that kingdom of His Son, we are to walk with God. I love how God says in, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, just as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in Him. How do we receive Him? By faith. We walk in Him by faith. It's not just when big things happen. It's every moment we walk by faith. Verse 6 gives us a short, simple, succinct truth about faith. Looking at these three lives, what is important? Faith is required if we're going to please God. Not the great things we do, not all of our knowledge, but faith is important. Two parts of faith. Verse 6, and without faith it's impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe, first of all, that he exists, and then that he rewards those who seek him. Believe that he exists. These first recipients, mostly Jewish people, were probably being inundated with polytheism from Rome and from Greece, with Stoicism with Epicureanism, with great philosophies. They were being inundated with nationalism from Rome. You have to follow the Roman way. And they're told, no, you, the most important thing, you believe that God is. This is the God who has spoke supremely through His Son, Ephesians, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. He must be the center of our minds, the center of our thoughts. Believe that He is. We are inundated today with atheism, with agnosticism, with materialism, consumerism. We could go on and on and on. The focus of our hearts and minds, if we are people of faith, is believing that He is. And if He is, He is the sovereign King, as we've seen of, in Jesus in Hebrews. He is our high priest. He is always in the forefront. And not only believe that He exists, the ontological truth that He exists, but secondly, that he's the rewarder of those who seek him. That's a relational part. He is our rewarder. Faith always looks forward. We are not looking for what we're going to get here on earth. Brothers and sisters, if we as Christians were not so focused on what we had here on earth, we would live life totally differently. Enoch was not focused on what he had here on earth. Abel apparently wasn't because he was willing to die and yet we hold on so tightly to what we have here on earth. We don't want to give of our money to the Lord. We don't give our time to the Lord. We don't give of our skills to the Lord. It's mine. I want to control it. No, these, these men walked by faith. They worshiped by faith. And then finally, we have an example of Noah, verse 7. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. We know the story of Noah. It's in Genesis chapter 6. 
But what we see from Noah is that faith works. Noah constructed an ark. Faith works. So faith worships. Faith walks with God. But faith also works and that those works are a response or the product of a heart of faith. It is Noah's faith. God saw that Noah was a faithful man believing in him. So while all the rest of the world, God says to Noah, I am going to destroy the world because the evil has become so much. You build an ark and Noah begins to build an ark. It took him probably 55 to 75 years to build that ark from what, if you read Genesis 6 carefully, 55 to 75 years. He was not building it at, on a dry dock next to water. He was building it inland where there was no water. It was a massive thing. People would ridicule, people would laugh at him, and yet we're told that Noah was preaching to them as he built. It didn't matter what people said. He was working, and his work was a response of faith, not to earn anything from God. God had simply said, I'm going to destroy the world. You trust me. God has said that the same thing happens for us. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 to 9, this, this is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God. We've also been warned that judgment is coming, just like Noah was. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of, Je of the Lord Jesus, putting their faith in Jesus alone, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. Just like God told Noah, I'm going to destroy this world, I'm going to bring vengeance on this world, God tells us that Jesus is returning and he's going to destroy this world and bring vengeance on all those who do not trust him. Brothers and sisters, Noah worked to build an ark. We trust the work of Jesus, but we need to be out telling people. Who have you shared with this week that there is a day of judgment coming and they need to be ready? There's so many people who feel like they're good people. They're living lives pretty well. They don't realize that judgment is right around the corner. Noah's response to God's warning was to work. Not work to be saved, but work because he had faith that what God had said he would do. Abel's faith worship meant that his offering to the Lord was accepted. Enoch's faith walk means that he was transferred from this world of brokenness and death to a world of life. We have been transferred as well. We need to walk in that new hope of eternal life that we've been given. And Noah's faith work was to, regardless of what people said about him, regardless of the humiliation, regardless of the ridicule of building a massive ship in the middle of a, a land where there is no water, he trusted that what God said would, would come true. Do we live with the future seen as clearly as the present, as Noah did? Will you walk with God every moment? It's not just in the big times. It's just not when we're sick and we beg God to help us. It's not just when we have a big decision to make. 
but every breath we take walking in the presence of God by faith. Worship, walk, work, it all has to be by faith. Lord Jesus, we bow before you so thankful that you have done the work for us and we trust in your work, not in ours. But because we know that you have said that this world will be destroyed, that everything in it will be consumed, Lord, help us not to work for this world. Help us not to build things for ourselves. Help us to work for eternity, to work for you, because we have faith in the work of Jesus is already complete on our behalf. It's not our labor here on earth that adds more to our life. Jesus, you have added everything to our life. Help us to work, to walk, and to worship simply by faith. Teach us to be a household of faith. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.